welcome to a new DOS Game Club episode. This is sort of a special one, although I guess it's also episode 41, Florian? Yep, 41. Yeah. So this is not about a game that we played in a, like during uh, a month, uh, what we normally do. But the, the reason that we're making this episode is because um, there, was a, there was this thing called DOS Games Jam. And it's a game jam that was hosted uh, in March, mostly, I think, starting March 1 and then running into April. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, exactly. And, well, it, it, uh, you, can, you can see it from the title, DOS Games Jam. It was obviously a, a game jam uh, focused on DOS games, on, like that was the subject. So that seemed like a thing that, that would massively interest us and, and our audience as well. So, yeah, that's why we, we decided to have this special extra episode. And also maybe just get a chance to, to talk about DOS stuff. You mean? I mean, it's kind of weird that, that we're interested in this old operating system at all, maybe. And we're not the only ones, because I think Jam was quite successful in the end. So there's, there's definitely some kind of interest in MS-DOS as a platform for games. So I think maybe that's just a fun topic to to discuss in general, maybe. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of the plan. Um, now, uh, of course, joining me as ever is our trusty co-host, Florian. Yep. Hey, <laughs> welcome. Welcome again. I think yes, it, it seems like just like how many days was it ago that we recorded the last one? Oh, I think like five. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm. Uh, it's the Nomad episode, right? I'm. I'm yep. editing it right now. Yeah, it's going to be out as soon as possible. And also, you heard him already. Uh, joining us is the. How do I say this? Like the the host, the the founder. What's what's the title? I guess so. The, yeah, the host of the Games Jam. Um, yeah, yeah. My name is Michael Clamaris. I started a little game jam called the DOS Games Jam, <laughs> and then it blew up. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It, I didn't expect it. So originally, um, should I back up and explain where this came from? I guess then. Um, yeah, if if you would, maybe maybe we should explain real quick what a game jam is at all. I mean, maybe people are familiar, but maybe they're not. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what's a game jam? Okay, so a game jam is basically just a short period of time where people create little games. Uh, Usually, it can go from maybe a weekend or a week uh, up to a month or longer. Right. Uh, it's just something that people can work on in their spare time. And uh, you know, usually, they have some sort of theme. The title Game Jam comes from you know music, where there's yeah. jamming. You're, you kind of just have a group of people that you assemble at the last minute, and you make something little that's a little rougher around the edges that... You know, sometimes the jams are competition, sometimes they aren't. The DOS Games Jam wasn't, so it was just kind of an excuse to just make little things and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And and also just have the opportunity to release something, because sometimes working on a game can be like a really long process, and, and people can get kind of lost in it and, and spend all their time. And I feel that game jams are a chance to just really focus on something quickly and then get it out there and have people playing it, which is uh, a really cool experience, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the appeal is that if you're only working on a game for two, three days, uh, if the game stinks, it's not a big deal. You, you didn't really invest that much time into it, but you got to try something new and you get to figure out what things work. Hmm. 
and what doesn't. Yeah, definitely. So it can get it can get quite intense, right? I mean, I've I've done several game jams that were only over a weekend, and those were competitive ones, and it usually meant that I get got like like six or eight hours of sleep during the whole weekend and was working for the entire remaining time. So it can be that yet you are bummed out when your game doesn't really work in the end. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a self-imposed crunch or something. It's 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 kind of weird, but it's still also kind of fun in a way. So it's oh, it's absolutely fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a challenge. Also, I feel it's like, can I pull this off? Can I do this? So yeah, it's I think it's a really rewarding thing. And and if you're interested in game development or just you know creating games in general, I think this is a great first step into this world like if you're not sure what it's all about do a game jam that's uh if you're not sure yet what crunch feels like <laughs> well, do a game jam well, and then you know what game well, maybe you're feels young like. and you're still full of energy <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's cool i mean it's fun and um so so what happened with this particular one mike um i mean you you just came up with the idea to have DOS games as a theme out of the blue, or or what happened? Back in February, I think, there was um, a demo disc, a fake demo disc called the Haunted PS1 demo disc mm-hmm. uh, that came from this community that likes to make games that kind of have an aesthetic from the PlayStation 1 era. Right. Um, so games similar to Resident Evil 1, Silent Hill, um, and so they released a compilation of demos that were wrapped around this fake demo disc. A lot of people were really into it, and it was really cool. And at the time, I thought it'd be neat to do something like that with a shareware disc from the DOS era, because I'm not, I don't really have an interest in working on a horror game. I think they're cool, but it's not something that I'll ever get into. So I made like a little Discord with some friends. We kind of started talking about it. And then, but since that was going to take some time, that would be neat to do a little game jam just to get people making stuff and kind of help figure out what a dos era game looks and feels like if you're making one now Mm -hmm. so yeah i started this little dos games jam and i maybe expected like a couple people to make stuff right and it's so i you know i was going to be happy if it got like five entries but it turned out to get a lot more than that and it's really (laughs) cool um and it ended up being a thing that wasn't just uh Games made with modern engines like Unity and Game Maker Studio, but also actual DOS games. Exactly, because it was actually more about the the aesthetic at first than than I mean the goal was not to have actual DOS games. It was more like the feel, the the like what they what do you remember they look like more more uh-huh. yeah. And so yeah, I mean it was and but it was intentionally a very loose game jam like it went on for a mo- originally it was planned to be a month but then stuff happened in the real world <laughs> but, like, so i got extended a little bit and then um people were allowed to submit things that they already started before the jam started and um it, yeah it's just to help people figure out what a dos game is like yeah exactly so i mean how many entries did you get in the end uh 123 that's insane. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of DOS games. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, yeah. Um, yeah. I was very happy with how that turned out. Awesome. So do you have any idea why it blew up like this? Like, did it, did something specific happen? or <sighs> I'm not sure. Well, I think it was just a combination of things. I think that on the dashboard screen, it maybe stood out more. 
of on itch.io. Right. Uh, for people not familiar with itch, it's a site aimed more towards indie games. And then also, I kind of spammed the DOS games hashtag a little bit on Twitter, mm-hmm. and that caught the eye of people who watch that, like Anatoly Shoshkin and others. Um, and they're, they, so they retweeted it, and it kind of blew up from there. Right. I think I think we retweeted it as well uh, from our DOS Game Club Twitter account. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a small DOS community on Twitter, weirdly. Uh, it's it's yeah. not really that that small, even. No, it's not that small at all. I, I think Anatolia is like I don't know twelve thousand followers or something. So yeah, there's clearly there's clearly people interested in those games. Uh, I think that's to me that's mostly what what your jam has proven. Like how how yeah how much people really love this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really really cool and eye opening as well. So, uh, yeah, it ran. It ran for I don't know six weeks, something like that. Yeah, just about. Yeah, and and with over a hundred twenty games, all in all, not all of them are for DOS, right? Correct. So there's kind of a mix of DOS, modern operating systems, and then a couple of tabletop games. Um, because originally it was just I, I wanted to leave it open, partially because I do love tabletop gaming stuff, but also I think it's interesting to see how people interpret things from one medium and translate it to another. Um, so uh, I made a more meta thing about playing Sierra adventure games. And then someone else made, you can talk about later, but it kind of made like a star control vaporwave tabletop RPG. Oh, wow. So, okay. That one. So these are actual physical games, uh, but inspired by those stuff. Yeah, I mean it's just I mean, it's it's just a PDF, right? Um, ultimate because that's all the only way you can distribute it. But uh, yeah, yeah. there are games that you're meant to play either in person at a table or over something like Roll Twenty, which allows you to play games like D and D online. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, maybe maybe it's 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 cool to to highlight some of the. Um, of the entries that were especially I mean it's we can't go through all of them sadly because that's just well <laughs> that's a whole other show in itself <laughs> but uh I think there are some standout entries right that are just cool to mention would would you like to mention one game in particular <laughs> <laughs> let's well, get you know to... what I I'll, yeah. I'll I'll do it because okay. you, you guys know uh, Martin actually worked on one of the games in the um in the jam right and uh, one one of the of the more interesting ones I would even say oh that's kind yeah, of I think so well, what kind of game is that would you like to explain a bit um yeah I you know when I was when I was first asked I I'm I'm not even sure if I was asked. I think I I offered like to I like I demanded to <laughs> to work on this. Um but I wasn't even fully aware I think that it was actually for the jam. But uh what happened is that a member of our club, um actually a DOS game club member uh Voxel. He was also the one who suggested Nomad, the game that we uh played last February and that that we just recorded our last uh, podcast on which i'm currently editing and which will be out soon so it's kind of a cool coincidence that voxel suggested nomad and then we discussed his game and then he also at the same time was working on this uh those game jam uh entry 
It's a it's a top down racing game. It's called Slip Speed. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like Micro Machines meets Wipeout. Is that is that uh, some kind? I think that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're like everything's kind of it's top down racer, but everything's kind of like a hover car. Yeah, in the future. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's like a futuristic. Space. I don't know. Is it in space? I guess no. Maybe it's it's like with spacecraft, sort of. It's like little floaty airplanes. Um, but anyway, uh, Voxel was was already working on this. I think back in I don't know when December. Um, yeah, just starting on this top down idea and making it for DOS. Uh, he's obviously interested in in DOS as he's a member of our club. And he, I think he's also doing other retro gaming stuff, Game Boy stuff. I don't know. Yeah, he's doing a lot of Game Boy stuff, I think. Yeah, exactly. So he was already interested. And then the jam came along and he thought, oh, that's awesome. I can totally submit it for this jam. So then, um, well, Fox was really good at starting projects. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, th- I think your jam, Mike, gave him a chance to actually finish one. So, uh, yeah, that's really nice. Um, oh, that's good to hear. And it's also, I think, what is interesting about this one is uh, it it kind of stood out with, like, um, from a marketing perspective, I guess, that kind of maybe proves that it's a possible way for your game to stand out. Like, I think Voxel messaged, or just tweeted about it, and it, LG, Lazy Game Reviews is a big YouTuber. Mm-hmm. He retweeted it and posted pictures of the game running on his old computer. And I think, and he linked to the store page as well. And I think that it kind of shows that, uh, I mean, maybe it's not going to be like the next Fortnite, but you can maybe make a DOS game as kind of a hook right. to catch people's eye and, you know, get more eyes on a game that is very cool anyway, but mm-hmm. maybe it'd be harder for it to get noticed otherwise. Yeah, exactly. But this is a real problem in the um, in the indie space scene, isn't it? I mean, there's just so many games being released right now. And, and you know, Steam is full of games and, and Itch is full of games and all the platforms are full of games. And it's, yeah, what do you do? What do you do to to get noticed and to stand out? So, yeah, maybe the DOS angle is something people are interested in and and it's different. So, uh, yeah, what he, what he did in the end was he went with the old shareware route like the, um, the 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 early '90s um, free demo, and then a full version. Like uh, the 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 shareware release is is really to advertise the full version. That's really the concept. Um. So, yeah, it's it's like an old school way. Although I I guess people still have demos. I'm not sure. Actually, is this still a? I'm I'm so out of touch with modern oh. games. <laughs> Are and things still I, happening? I don't know. Um, <laughs> they sometimes they do. It's it's not like it used to be where you would give away a third of your game for free and expect people to just hopefully share it. But uh, once in a while, you'll see a game with a demo, but not like it used to be. Right. I think he did a great job with this game, and he asked me to make uh, music for it because uh, he's quite capable with graphics and programming and everything. Um, but music was well. I. I I think he just didn't have as clear an idea on on how to do the music. So, uh, and I'm all about making music and and DOS music as well. So, uh, 
I used a red tracker in the end, Reality Adlib Tracker, which is a, a tracker actually running in DOS. And um, it supports the uh, OPL3 chip, which is found on Sound Blasters and other audio devices. And yeah, you can just make music with that and, and then save it as a tiny, tiny file, just a few kilobytes. And there's uh, there's code examples with the tracker as well on how to get this playing in your game. So yeah, he basically followed that and it worked. So that's how we managed to get music in. Uh, and it was sort of important for him to to do it in this way instead of more traditional, like just put in an MP3 or something. Um, because one of his goals was to make it fit on a floppy disk. So yeah, it's hard with pre-recorded music to to make it small enough to to fit but with this uh synthesizer fm opl3 music that's really tiny so that's really easy it would also be kind of silly to make a game that runs on all the old hardware like in vga and all of that but then you suddenly need a pentium 200 to decode the mp3 yeah exactly exactly so it just felt more appropriate to do it this way and i was already sort of familiar with red tracker because uh when we went to um Revision last year, I also made a an OPL3 track with it. So uh yeah, submitted that for the for the demo party. So yeah, super, super nice. Um but Mike, I think we should also mention some of the other <laughs> entries. Yes. So yeah, I mean it, like you said, we can only highlight a few. There's so many good ones. Um I think another one that stood out to me, if I pronounce this right, called Kalavala. Okay. Um, so I think one of the appeals for me for, uh, I guess, looking at the DOS games and doing this game jam was seeing how people would maybe look at things in gaming that didn't really take off and then weren't necessarily a bad idea, but just maybe the game didn't make money or whatever. Um, maybe it was a bad game that had some good ideas in it. Uh, and I like to see how people look at older games and pull ideas from that. Um, so this game called Kalevala, apologies if I got it wrong, uh, took the aesthetic from an old DOS series called Ecstatica, mm-hmm. which it was kind of like, kind of controlled like Alone in the Dark. Didn't really play like, it's more of like a fantasy right. adventure horde thing. Um, but it has a really interesting aesthetic where it uses all these ellipsoids to make up people instead of polygons. Exactly. Or instead of like blocky. I was just going to say that's the game that's entirely made out of spheres, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's so weird. I played that. And I, you know, I, I played it at the time. So I was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. And I already thought this looks massively weird. So it's not. Yeah. <laughs> It's not even just looking at it now. Yeah. And I think it's really exciting when people are able to look at games from 20, 25, 30 years ago and pull ideas from that that maybe ended up being evolutionary dead ends in gaming and people didn't iterate on them, but maybe, you know, realizing there's something there Mm. and trying to do something new with it. Yeah, definitely. So this... um... Kalevala? Kal- I don't know. I don't know what the how to pronounce this one. But it's it also is completely drawn using spheres? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, so it's very much influenced. It doesn't play like that. It's more of an adventure game story. Like a adventure Yeah. 
I guess an adventure game is the right term. It plays like that instead of something that's more action-oriented, but it uses that aesthetic, mm-hmm. and I think it really stands out because of that. Awesome. Um, and this is, not, this is not a DOS game, is it? Correct. So this was built with Unity, apparently, according to the page, and um, so it runs in your browser. And so, uh, but I think, but it looks like a game from that era. Right, yeah. Which was also really the goal of the whole jam. It's just to have titles weird, weird, yeah, just a weird look into what was it like? What were what were these DOS games like? And yeah, so really cool. This is, uh, and I also think this title is still in development, isn't it? I think so. It looks like the page said it's part one. I don't know how many parts there are. I think I'm guessing two or three, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more of this and, you know, yeah. see what happens if they can keep totally. grabbing all these weird, interesting ideas. Totally. Uh, what's another one? Uh, let's see. So there's a couple that uh, I liked Witchy Workshop. It was kind of a spiritual sequel to something like The Incredible Machine. Mm-hmm. It played a lot like that, but with kind of a Halloween-y witch themed. It was just really well done. It just um, really good pixel art and um, had a lot of fun with it. it. I think there's still there's other incredible and incredible machine type games out there, but this one just I don't know. It was just really good. It looks amazingly polished for a jam game. Yeah, I think this one was one of those that was started before, right? Um, because the, the rules allowed for it. Just because I wanted to see. I just, I, I mean, I kind of did it for partially selfish reasons. I just wanted to see what stuff was out there yeah. that pulls from influence from older games, uh, even if it wasn't created during the jam. So, I mean, that was one of the benefits. So, yeah. I got to see this new game that I normally wouldn't. Um, and it wasn't a competition, so it's not an unfair advantage uh, if people start a yeah. player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then maybe it would be different if it was a competition. The rules would have to be more strict. Yeah. But... Since it's not, it's not a big deal if it's an older thing or it doesn't quite follow the rules super well. Just a short side note. Um, we played The Incredible Machine like in December 2017. Mm. That was our episode number 12. So mm-hmm. if anyone's interested in knowing more about that game, uh, go back to our archive and take a look. That's a great suggestion. I think our archive is starting to look... Yeah, it's looking really great now. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's looking better with every episode that we release. It's just yeah. this fun list of all the games we we did. I I just like browsing this list. It's really cool to see all the screenshots yeah. and uh, yeah. Okay, well, please continue. <laughs> so another one that I liked was called Stellar Roads. Mm-hmm. Is another game that uh, looked at something older to do something new. So there's an old shareware game called Sky Roads, right? And so it. Um, someone made a game for DOS that plays like that, but from a 2D perspective. So it's almost like a platformer. Right. And um, it was really cool to see a different take on that concept. Mm -hmm. And this is a really kind of, in a nerdy way, an interesting one because it supports different video modes, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I see the VGA, Tandy, and CGA. Yeah, that's awesome. Carefully coded in x686 assembly to run well on original hardware well that's that's awesome 
He says it runs on 4.77 megahertz. Is that the rate of the original yep. PC? Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, this does look cool. Oh, he includes um, screenshots of all the different video outputs on his itch page as well. There's uh, the CGA one and the VGA one. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. And he also made PC Speaker, Tandy, and AdLib sound. This is really impressive on a, from a technical perspective. It's certainly a lot of work. Yeah. So for a, yeah, for a, a casual jam, this is really something. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah, and he even uses the language of it being a demake, which is interesting where a lot of times in gaming, if someone, there's a term called a demake, where it's almost like the opposite of remake, where you're yeah. making something run on lesser hardware. You're kind of simplifying the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting because it means when people make demakes, they're kind of interpreting what are the essential elements of that game yeah, and making something new with it. Yeah, because the original Skyroads was a 3D game, I think, right? I think it was 2D. It looked 3D. Yeah. But I think it was VGA... Yeah, like a fancy game at the time. Yeah, so this is almost like a more streamlined version of that. Yeah. And it just it, you can tell that he's a big fan of it. He's even providing bootable disk images. That's really cool. Oh, wow. Obviously, that's, 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 that's not, not at all related to our topic, so please go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's still cool that you can run it like a booter game. Yeah. Um, I guess that's if you can't have enough free memory or something on your... DOS machine because you've loaded DOS. tons of crap in your <laughs> like uh, DOS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, a classic thing. I think we've we've um, discussed some booter games before. On yeah, the, we've we've had some like Alley Cat, Load Runner. Yeah, exactly. So there was a yeah really old technique where you just more like a console. Really, you just put the disc in, turn your computer on, and then it just boots with the game. It's like a, yeah, or yeah. like a shall I say it, Amiga. <laughs> Yeah, well, isn't that just a console as well? <laughs> uh, don't say that too loudly. Some people might hear it. Who will not like you. Uh, back back on topic. Yeah. What's another one, Mike? Uh, I like the Cronia a lot. Oh, so this yeah. was this was a two D platformer that kind of felt like something like Contra. Yeah, I, the page even describes it as Contra and Commander Keen. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a finished game, so this is still in the early alpha stages. Right. Uh, but it was kind of the first release for, and um, kind of put together for the game jam. Right. Uh, I mean, it was really cool to see how far along it was already and how good it felt. Okay. Um, it was, I was, it was, so this was another game for DOS, and it was just it's really cool to see the developer get, I guess, motivated to put more time into this game and kind of get something out there so people could check it out mm. and start to build up excitement for it. And it felt, it just felt really good. Like the game controls well, even in this early stage. That's awesome. And you could, you could, like, I think there's like one or two YouTubers that even uh, played through the game uh, as they were doing little. DOS games videos. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I've been following this on Twitter as well. Um, it's made by Clarissa Toller. 
And yeah, she's just really vocal about it and really enthusiastic, like sharing the progress and stuff. It's really cool to follow. I think a similar thing as what happened with Foxel, that this jam really motivates people to, you know, up their game and and finish what they're working on. So uh, yeah, that's really cool. These screenshots look really amazing. I've not. Yeah, the game looks great. I've not played it yet, but uh, it's really cool to see that it's it's this authentic as well. I mean, it's targeting three eighty sixes at least with two megs of RAM. So that's really kind of impressive. That's, yeah, that's that's low end for something that you would make for a modern machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm working on a game that has nothing to do with this um, game jam, but the three eighty six is like. Ah. I'm not sure if I will be able to support it. Yeah, because it's really slow. And yeah, it's just all the modern game dev uh, things that we grew used to doing. Um, They're not so... um, Well, it's not so straightforward to to make this run on a really low-end machine, is it, Florian? Yeah, you you have to be a bit inventive and you need to sometimes think a bit outside the box to come up with solutions to stuff that are not as straightforward as you would do it today. So exactly. like today you just have you have all the processing power in the world. You can just push out all the pixels. But back then, with a 16-bit graphics card, you can't just re- expect to redraw the entire screen like 60 times a second. It's just not possible. I mean, like no matter how good you, you code, you cannot refresh the entire screen because the hardware just cannot do it. So... You have yeah. to be have to be. Uh, uh, I don't want to say smart, but you have to be. Uh, yeah, you have to have to think a lot about it. Exactly. Yeah, this is also. I you can see this in uh, Acrony. What's it called? Acronia. Acron. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So you can see in in the screenshots already that the game is not entirely full screen. There's this bar around it. I think that's yeah. a classic DOS trick. To it reminds me a lot of. Duke Nukem, the first one. Okay. You kind of have that panel on the right side of the screen that shows mm-hmm. your gun and health and score. Right. So, yeah, it, it says it runs in VGA 320 by 200, which is probably mode 13, which means uh, you, they can't do any double buffering or anything. So the entire screen update has to fit within a very small time frame where the screen is not actually drawn. And yeah. that's that's an interesting thing to do, actually, because it's a lot of work. Yeah, but having these bars on the side and on the bottom is a classic trick not to have to redraw the whole screen. Yeah, uh, so it just... looks like this is like maybe 200 by 200 pixel playing field. So yeah. that's like, uh, how much is it? Like a third less to render? So... Exactly. And and interestingly, I mean, this was really common in old DOS games. Uh, Ultima had this and like Duke Nukem, what you mentioned. Uh, even the... Um, the the Wolfenstein and Doom games, you you had the ability to make the screen smaller for performance reasons. Yeah, though they, yeah, they, they use different video mode though, so they could in theory update the entire screen every day, every every frame without any tearing. But yeah, but it's the sort that, of same idea. For performance reasons, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about this the other day that like back in the day. Uh, they would show like the game title maybe uh, on on one of the sidebars or on the top bar or whatever, and it was kind of pointless because I mean you're just playing at home by yourself in the early nineties. You know what you're playing. You don't have to see the <laughs> title of the game all the time. But nowadays people would stream their games to Twitch and whatnot. So actually nowadays it sort of makes sense to 
to display the title of your game because someone might tune in randomly and think, well, what's this? Well, it, it says what it is because there's always these status <laughs> bars, which, it I don't know, it, it reminds me of a Twitch stream having all this extra stuff besides your game. So it's, in a way, it makes more sense now than it did back then. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, this is a cool one. I, I, I also think... Um, their continuing development of this game, aren't they, Mike? Yeah, I think so. She continues to post about it a lot on Twitter. And so this is, and it's really fun to follow the development of the game. Yeah. Uh, and just seeing all the stuff being added to it. Exactly. All the time. Um, yeah, this is an alpha stage, so there aren't enemies in the game yet. Uh, that's planned. But you can still jump around, uh, it, you know, fire your gun. It feel, And it already feels... Very good. Like the motion and controls feel very fluid, hmm. uh, even though it's just an alpha. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see how the game develops. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to post links to all of these games uh, along with the post when when we publish this episode. So yeah, if people want to check it out, any of them, they can they can just follow those uh, links and then they'll get to the games. Um, want to do one more? I think. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think that uh, I got, I've already mentioned it before, but Capex Astra, uh, right. which is a tabletop RPG, right. uh, it's still in the beta stage, but it was kind of a um, star control influence game. Awesome. Uh, that uses it, it has a vaporwave aesthetic, and um, it it's based off uh, a system called Fate. That's more. It's a little more streamlined than something like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and that core system is available for free. And this is kind of like, to use gaming terms, like a total conversion. Like if you're playing Doom and you want a total conversion of that, that turns everything into, uh, I don't know, Star Trek. Um, okay. You you download this thing that kind of you layer on top of it, and it, it's it's really cool. Um, wasn't that much to purchase. It was one of the commercial games in the jam hmm. um which i think is cool because it's kind of like a marketing yeah. trick um and uh i don't know it just it was really cool to see how someone interprets something from a video game and converts it to a tabletop game and seeing what things that they found valuable in mm -hmm. that game uh and what elements of that and um i always get excited when i see people do that either taking something from tabletop into a video game or vice versa yeah, definitely. It's 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 a bit hard to imagine what's it like to play this one. Um, I mean, there's not really screenshots of the game, are there? It's no. So yeah, I downloaded it, but I haven't played it yet. Uh, it's you just kind of it's again. So it's like the I guess Dungeons and Dragons, where you have the dungeon master or GM game manager, uh, where they kind of plot out a core like a storyline mm -hmm. i guess or kind of like a mission or objective and everyone else makes a crew um and you kind of do your job you explore space you uh and you know talk to other aliens and do all sorts of fun space stuff and play cool uh retro game uh, music in the background like it 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 really yeah it has an aesthetic doesn't it it really looks like what you said the vapor 
the vaporwave. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of its own 80s influence yeah. thing. So you're kind of combining multiple influences to make something new. Exactly. So it's really cool. It's uh it's like a it's like futuristic what's what's this this term like it's futuristic from the past or something it's like yeah i don't know what the right term is but retro future yeah yeah exactly it's a bit like that because it looks old but it also looks yeah super modern super yeah it's uh, it's cool so interesting one it's 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 like you say it's interesting to see how people will interpret the theme isn't it mm-hmm. because these entries are really varied and really you know people did all sorts of different things so that's cool um yeah there's more I'll, I'll i'll just put up a link to all of the games as well so you can just browse your for yourself and and see what what you like and what's uh what's posted because it's it's really massive the list and some of them are really really cool so uh can't sadly mention all of them here but hopefully Hopefully we we at least inspired people to check it out. And, uh, you know, that's already something. So, yeah. Super awesome jam, uh, Mike. I mean, yeah. really impressed. Yeah, me too. I was, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And there's so many good games here that, like you said, we couldn't mention. But, you know, there's even more variety. Mm-hmm. And are you still going to put the, together the... Um, the shareware disc that you mentioned at the start, like what you started with as the inspiration. Yeah, so that's the hope. I, I mean, we'll see what happens with that, but that, that's something we've been talking about in the Discord. Right. Um, anyone's welcome to join. And it's plan is for it to, I, we're still figuring out, but the plan is for it to run on modern operating systems and have it feel and look like an old shareware disc where you have this large variety of games. Some are tiny, some are, more bigger commercial games that kind of just have demos in the desk and uh mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with that yeah that's cool that's cool to follow it along it's really a, a special feeling isn't it to browse one of those discs i remember there they came with magazines and stuff like that sort of magical to just insert them into your computer and then just see what's on there and all sorts of crazy stuff and it's yeah you really had no idea beforehand what you were getting into it's a bit lost now, although I guess everything is like that now. I mean, you can just browse Steam, I suppose, or browse Itch, or browse uh, Facebook, Twitter, and it's full. Yeah. Yeah, but it's fun to have kind of like a curated collection of these games, and like with the Haunted PS1 thing, where it was someone who organized it and made sure the games were in a certain state uh, and shared a theme. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the appeal of doing these collections. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a thing of the past in a way, but it's really, uh, yeah, it's fun for people to check this out. So I, I hope it all works out with uh, with your disc. I mean, it seems like an amazing thing. So uh, oh, thank you. Now, interestingly, Florian, um, the this this DOS games jam, it was like a big thing, but it's not the the first DOS themed game jam, is it? Um, well, I don't know if any of any any other DOS themed ones, but there are certainly lots of other retro themed ones, or right. actually ones that are actually targeted at retro machines. Exactly. Like um, there was um, Ludum Dare. That's that's the one of the the biggest game jams um, still that's out there. Ludum Dare, pronounced by some people. It's uh, yeah, it's which is nonsense. Heavily debated. Whatever <laughs> subject. Ludum Dare. Some people also say it's. Uh, 
pronunciation is all over the place, but yeah. Yeah, uh, th that one. So um, they used to do uh, what they called mini-LDs, which were hosted by community members instead of um, the actual hosts of, of, the jam, of the jam. And there were at least two that were um, geared towards retro machines. One was number 52, which was hosted by Blue, Blue Lama, I guess, mm -hmm. um, into which I entered my very first DOS game, by the way. Wow, when was this? Uh, it was uh, 2014, I think. Right. And looking back at it, it turns out that I didn't know anything about uh, DOS machines and DOS hardware back then because <laughs> this game needs like a Pentium 100 at least to run, and it runs in 16-bit colors. Oh, that's so, ambitious. Yeah. yeah. You know, like all ambitious. the DOS games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like all the DOS games from like 98 and later. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, but, but it worked. Uh, and th there was a later one. Uh, Mini LD number 71, which was in 2017, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, uh, which I basically hosted because I was really, really sad that there were not more of those retro gems like 52 that I really, really enjoyed. Right. And I, I, I personally didn't enter anything into number 71, but I know someone who did. And that's you, Martin. <laughs> Oh, really? Do you even remember? Uh, maybe? Uh, Have you ever heard of a game called Detective Quest? Ah, that's the one I made Detective Quest for. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally remember that. It was kind of cool. Um, what? Uh, it was me and Otvar, who has also been uh, on the DOS Game Club podcast before. Yeah, several times. Yeah. What, what basically happened is that I figured out there are modern tools nowadays to create stuff that works with the old Sierra engine. So the old, um, what's it called? The Sierra Creative Interpreter, I think. SCI, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, we basically just found an editor. Like It was modern software. It was not like some old thing from back in the day. It was like a modern tool set, which I, I don't remember who made it, though. Uh, oh, I have it pulled up now. So SCI Companion, is that it? Right, that's the one. Yeah, that's totally the one. SCI Companion by uh, someone. I think someone who also makes really cool uh, adventure games themselves. I've played games by the person who made this. I'm just trying to find who did this, but I can't so quickly. Let's see. Uh, ski Companions, SCI Companion, yeah. Um, by, hmm, nobody knows by <laughs> who. I think, yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I'll research this and I'll post links along. To, yeah, to sorry for, for like <laughs> no, 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 it's fairly cool. <laughs> it's cool that you mentioned that this. I wish I just looked it up before, but uh, SCI Companion is modern software where you can create scenes and and write text and and draw graphics and everything, and then you can load it with uh, Sierra's old engine. Which uh, the way these old games were distributed was basically they had they had all the asset files and it just came with the engine.exe or .com or whatever, Sierra.exe, often called. Um, so you can just swap out the assets and then run the exe and it will load your game instead of the game that it actually came with. So uh, you can use any old Sierra game, rip out all the assets, replace them with your own creations, and then you'd have your own adventure game. Really cool. So that's what we figured out for your uh, for your 
Ludum Dare Mini LD71, yeah. Florian. You know, I actually also forgot that you made one back then. And when I just <laughs> looked it up for for oh. this episode, I, yeah. I said, hey, wait, Detective Quest. I've yeah, heard of yeah, that yeah. one before. Yeah, it's not a full game. It's just one little scene where, where basically we were just figuring out if we can, you know, learn how to operate this old software or new software, I guess. But yeah, it required some fiddling to get it working in DOSBox and everything. Uh, also made some MIDI music for it, I think. And yeah, in the end, it works surprisingly well. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. And well, there there are certainly lots of others. Um, um, none of them were, at, none, at least none of those that I could find, are nearly as big as those games Jam turned out to become. So um, those mini LDs, they had like 20, 25 entries each. Right. Um, there's stuff like, like ZX Spectrum Basic Jam, um, it's the same size, more or less. So maybe the DOS community is just something when you focus on it that people will actually become involved. You know, I think it's also a very inclusive topic, maybe because like like everybody had a DOS PC at one point. Oh right, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And and maybe as nostalgia grows, um, the interest in DOS games will will as well. Maybe. Because there's there's certainly a lot of people in their 30s and beyond now that are thinking back on their kid days and thinking, oh, yeah, we had this old computer with these old games. What was that all about? Yeah. So, yeah, because that was what I was also wondering. Like I wrote down in our notes, DOS in modern time, is it a thing? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it a thing? Uh, I, I mean, your jam, Mike, suggests that it is because you got loads of entries. So people are really interested in, in DOS in the year 2020 for some reason. Yeah, so I think the appeal is, comes down to a couple things. I think like on a surface level, um, it is fun to dip into nostalgia for brief periods and kind of, you know, play the thing for a little bit. And sometimes you play the game and it's still great. Sometimes not so much. We know. But it's still fun for like a couple minutes. Um, but I think that there's, a, when you dig into a little more, I think the appeal for developing these things is, uh, comes down to, you know, you don't need a huge team to make a game that looks like it's from the early 90s. It can be just like a one or two person team. Right. Uh, and I think that's really appealing, especially when, everyone's trying to make something that looks like that. It kind of feels like you're all on an equal ground. You're not competing against someone who's, you know, making this really advanced looking first person shooter. Everyone's just, you know, you're probably at best, you're, you might have some polygons that are without textures right. or something like that. So I think that, I think that's kind of the draw to it. And you're, but you're, you're making it with an aesthetic that, kind of works as a marketing hook because it, other people will inspire nostalgic feelings in other people and they'll want to check it out. And then I think the other thing is, like I kind of said before, there's a lot of really interesting ideas in those older games that never got carried forward. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's the game that sell well or it was in a bad game. And so when you, you can kind of go back and iterate on those ideas that people moved on from. So an example, it's not a DOS game, but there's a game called Snail Trick, 
right. uh, that it kind of plays like those old Sierra. No, I'm not saying that the old Sierra games are bad, but the, the, um, <laughs> but the adventure games are very different now. Like in the indie space, they're um, so they don't really have text parsers usually. And so the snail trek game is very interesting to me because it looks and feels like an old Sierra game like the early King's Quest games, but, or I guess Space Quest, because it's in space and you're playing as a snail on a ship. But uh, it makes it some improvement. So you can die easily, but if you do, it's not a big deal because it just reloads you to right before you died. Uh, there's no dead ends. There, uh, the, And the text parser is very advanced. It suggests words to you. So you're not guessing at what works and what doesn't. But um, but it, the parser is still interesting because it allows you to have a lot more, uh, a variety of interactions that you couldn't have in a lot of other adventure games where you could just maybe look at something or just inter- grab an item. You right. can kind of like smell or feel or examine an item. Right. We're actually going to play um, a text adventure soon in the club. So it makes sense to talk a bit more about those. Yeah, definitely. I I often feel that these DOS games or just early games in general are well, I guess things were less established, weren't they? So it was like more of a creative endeavor to create a game because all the genres weren't as established and all the tropes and all the, you know, it wasn't as a clearer path as it is sometimes now where people just go, I'll make a RPG game like Skyrim or I'll make a first-person shooter like, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so I assume people were actually, they they were doing that in the past. I mean, look at how many Doom clones there are. But yeah, they weren't just not all the the genres that we have now, they were just not established yet. Exactly. Yeah, but it's it's fun to look at a lot of those older games that try to they're just figuring things out. Like if you play that first System Shock, which is coming up which, in your club, yeah. um, <laughs> it, you know, it, that interface is, you know, clearly from before all this stuff got established. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting and creative. Like what were they trying to achieve and what were they figuring out? And it's, there's a lot of creativity there, which is one of the reasons really why we're looking at these old games is because they're often forgotten and overlooked. And and they they often include really cool stuff that just isn't around anymore in modern yeah. games. So. so sometimes it's it's sad to see when you when you especially in the club when we're playing a game that didn't become very successful in the end, and you see you know if though they would had um, all the UI things that we know today, then this game would have been maybe a, a much more successful. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trying to do something great, but maybe they're struggling with with user experience. Yeah. Like for example, Transarctica. It's like it's it's very weird to play, but it's it's one of the most most interesting titles that we've tried. Well, not one of the best ones, but certainly one of the most interesting <laughs> ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's definitely one reason why there's an interest in these. Yeah, in these old games. I feel it also ties in with just the general interest in indie games that has been going now for the last, well, little over a decade, I would say. I mean, I remember vividly around the turn of the millennium 
that interest in indie games was basically non-existent and that everyone was focused on these AAA titles and it was just bigger, bigger, more. What can we do? What can we put in? And then I think it was around, I don't know, 2007, 8, something like that, maybe six. I don't know. So around that time, I feel things started to change. Um, like uh, Xbox Live Arcade came around and had smaller games and, and well, some titles were released that were really influential and they, they yeah, sort of changed the tide or changed people's yeah. focus a bit, didn't it? Though it, it didn't only change it in a good way, to be honest. Um, you know, um, all of my, my, my teenage years, I was part of hobby game dev uh, communities and I was all focused on... on well, you know, you're, you're one community, you're, you're doing this for fun, it's your hobby. And once all this indie stuff began to, to um, grow again, that was when everyone was like, you know, maybe I could make money with this. And it mm. changed, changed the way of the community, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of indie game dev is happening just for, as a hobby. Maybe, maybe less no. so. Maybe less so. But, but still, the, 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 the whole focus on smaller games maybe also made people more open to playing these older games as well because they're they're sort of alike i feel in spirit these these indie games and and older dos games i guess in a way all those games are indie games i mean they're often made by two or three people as well they're sometimes they're with a big publisher but not always and and even the big publishers weren't as big then as they are now so yeah i mean there, there are many um, of the smaller indie titles today that have teams that are way bigger than, for example, It's Software Wars in the beginning. Exactly, exactly. Stuff like that. And also, I was just thinking about things like EA nowadays. EA is, of course, this, this massive <laughs> corporation, you know. Well, EA was around in the 80s, and EA back in the 80s was like three people. That's, the, that's Electronic Arts. It's like three people shoving floppies into a box. So... Yeah, just yeah. You almost see a lot of debate on what indie even means anymore. Where now, you, I almost see, I all see terms like micro indie to describe the games that are actually, you know, just made by a couple of people. Right. Um, because other than that, like, what does indie mean? Does it, it was Telltale indie because they weren't owned by a bigger publisher? So you, yeah, there's a lot of debate in that. Like, Double Fine was a big company before they got bought out by Microsoft. So it. Yeah, I, it's really interesting to see that debate. And I think that kind of ties in, like you said, it, those old DOS games were often just by a couple of people. And so I think that's kind of the appeal. It's like they're less refined games because you didn't have a lot of money attached to them. You could just try a thing to see if it worked. And a lot mm -hmm. of times it doesn't, but it's still interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, these old games, they don't have these massive budgets at all, do they? I mean, I don't think it... I, I think it took a, a really long time for a DOS game to even have like a million dollar budget. That that ha that that didn't... That just wasn't a thing in the early days. Uh, and that changes things as well. That kind of makes people more creative as well, I think. Just mm -hmm. to do things on a shoestring budget and uh, yeah try to cut corners in a smart way like not make your game super cheap and sleazy but but just come up with clever stuff so that you don't have to 
actually create these massive worlds. And yeah, it's just there's some some cool creativity in that whole scene. Now, the fact that uh, there's clearly an interest in this old stuff is also kind of proven if you look at some of the media, especially on YouTube, but also other podcasts and stuff. There's a there's a lot of retro focused uh, media. Um, just some of the big ones, I guess, are Lazy Game Reviews, which we mentioned earlier by Clint uh, Bassinger. Bassinger? Uh, he's a YouTuber. I think, how many subscribers? Like a million or something? I don't know. I think he passed them by now. <laughs> yeah. So that's just insane. I mean, yeah. He probably has more views than a lot of TV shows nowadays, I think. So that's one huge thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I just logged 1.35 million subscribers yeah. as YouTube. So, that's crazy. Uh, also, we mentioned earlier uh, Anatoly Shashkin, for example, who has the Dos Nostalgia podcast and also some content on YouTube. But he's he's especially massive on Twitter, where he has like a, an insane amount of followers. Um, so, yeah, there are clearly, there's clearly an audience for this stuff. I mean, even even uh, we with our small podcast... I mean, we, we're not doing this for, for, for nobody. We, we do have people, lots of people actually listening to the podcast. Yeah. So, exactly. I, mean, I mean, lots, that's, that's a, maybe a stretch to call it lots of people. But we have, we have regularly more than 2,000, maybe going to 2,500 downloads per month. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, and we're, we're not doing any marketing. We're no. not doing this for any kind of, you know, we're just hobbyists at home. And, and even we, with our zero budget just doing it ourselves we get we get an audience people find us so people are looking for this stuff clearly um i also want to mention ancient dos games by chris essek um pixel amusement is also a name he goes by because he's just really a foundational yeah he started doing this like years ago and uh he has a great show on youtube and he's been doing this since forever so i feel he's a he's an important figure in the, in this whole scene um yeah what's another one you call some uh some some i mean you listen to this stuff more than i do Florida, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't i don't know if i do but um there are at least two more that i would like to mention one is the upper memory block cast by joe mastriani mm. uh, sadly there hasn't been any updates in like a year or so yeah. and, and he doesn't only cover dos stuff but he, he calls it dos and early windows uh games right. so that's right uh right in our era more or less yeah. Really, really well researched usually and a big fan. <laughs> and another one that's that's maybe only interesting to uh, people who understand German is Stay Forever, which is uh, by former games journalists Christian Schmidt and Gunnar Lott, who okay. do really, really well, well-made um, episodes about games. Also not, not limited to DOS, but yeah, right. all of the era. Yeah, but this is really scratching the surface, isn't it? I mean, yeah, 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 those are just the biggest ones. There's a lot. There's a lot on YouTube. There's a lot on on all the podcast platforms. Uh, yeah, is there is there something you listen to, Mike, or watch? Um, yeah, I guess a couple of YouTubers that I've watched, um, pushing up roses. She's not exclusively uh, DOS games focused, but she'll do a lot of videos on adventure games, especially the Sierra games, um, or games inspired by those. Uh, let's see. Um, Metal Jesus Rocks. Sometimes uh, he does mostly game collecting videos, but he used to work at Sierra. 
So he's done some videos about his experience working there. Uh, uh, Space Quest Historian, another yeah. one that does adventure game reviews. Uh, yeah, there's just so many. Yeah, there's a lot. And that also shows that this is, yeah, DOS, DOS is a thing in the 21st century. <laughs> who would have who known back at, like, yeah, who could have figured this? And and what you say is right. There's, um, for example, um, Metal Jesus Rocks. He's really into this big box collecting stuff, right? <laughs> well, who isn't? Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's done a, so many videos on uh, retro games collecting. Right. I mostly watch for his older Sierra videos. But, yeah, there's. I think that's kind of his main focus is collecting these older games. Yeah. Yeah, that's just one of the different angles people have on this. Like some people are are here for the games, but also a lot of our listeners and 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 club members as well are also into this big box collecting. I think you are sort of as well, Florian. Yeah, well, my collection is um, rather small with just under a hundred boxes. But I, you know, there there are people who have the fact like... that you think that is small is insane. <laughs> like a hundred well, boxes. What? Look, ju- just look up um, pictures or. or... Of what, or whatever of, of bigger collections that have like five six hundred maybe a thousand boxes it's insane so mine is really yeah. just a tiny one but sure but but we have other members as well i mean um richard for yeah, example Bix, he has a lot more than than 100 i think so yeah and others as well so uh yeah, this is definitely a thing. But also uh, hardware collectors, that's also a thing, right? Yep. People who are collecting these old machines and are also playing these old games on actual old machines. That's also like a whole scene in itself. Yep. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm one of those people as well. So <laughs> I, have, I have tons of, of retro hardware uh, here and in the storage room <laughs> because I had to rent a storage room to be able to keep all my hardware so yeah it's it's, oh, it's, it's actually a thing yeah and it, yeah I, I, I think it kind of makes sense to play those games on the original hardware because um you know you, you're playing a game on a on a modern lcd screen you know it doesn't have the same um the same dynamic range in in, in brightness and stuff like that and the pixels are scaled and, and they become all mushy and you get different mm. Like like latencies from your input to what you see on the screen. It's it's really it's not what the designer has designed, and so right. it feels a bit weird, or maybe not weird, but I prefer to play it on the original hardware just to see the game the way that people saw it when they played it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I'm I'm not really into this myself, but that's mostly just a practical. I mean, I don't want to live in like a museum. Uh, it's just not something that I want in my life. Uh, so I'm just happy with just the one laptop I have and then, yeah, just keeping it at that. But I totally respect people that are willing to go the distance and like get all these old machines running. It's, there's, it's something special. I mean, I got a kick out of seeing people play slip speed on actual old hardware. That's like really cool. So, uh. Yeah, totally, totally respect that. Though that's probably not the way that people first saw that specific game. <laughs> not that's th- that specific one, no, no. But but that's the only one I I worked on. So, um, other other uh, massive scenes are, of course, stuff like the demo scene, oh, which yeah. was mentioned earlier quickly in passing. I mean, that's a whole world in itself. People are making demos for old hardware i mean people it often comes from 
uh, these old platforms, right? I mean, I feel the demo scene was really created around these old machines back oh, yeah. in the day. And then stuff did evolve, but also a lot of people just stuck with the old stuff. And, and, and some joined the old uh, old school stuff later. Yeah, such so, as us. <laughs> plus, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you you entered stuff into um, demo competitions. I did. We entered something together. Um, yeah. Yeah, though I think especially the DOS scene, the, the DOS demo scene is rather small compared to other retro scenes in the demo scene. That's so, true. Um, the yeah, C64, like Amiga, Amiga yeah. they are really going strong still. Uh, yeah. you, you can usually see a couple of DOS entries at old school demo competitions, but yeah. uh, they're dominated vastly by um, Commodore-themed yeah. stuff. But you have to understand these people, they have nothing else. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it kind of makes sense. Um, those platform, hardware platforms, they are much more unified than the PC um, scene. So, yeah. what 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 really is a is a retro PC, right? Uh, is it is it a that's true? The, is it something with a sixteen bit CPU or is it three eighty six? Is that still retro? So yeah. opinions might differ. While on the, on the Amiga, you have an Amiga five hundred. It's this hardware, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, yeah, and also what's what makes it weird is that. In a way, the PC, I mean, it never it never went in away. I mean, yeah. it's still here. Everyone uses PCs, Windows is everywhere. It's still a thing. It's just an older version of what we still have every day. So surprisingly, there's, there's, there's a very, very tiny uh, Macintosh retro, scene, uh, retro demo scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but even classic Macintosh is very different from modern. Yeah. Well, the modern PC is very similar to a classic PC, isn't it? Yeah, well, in a in a way, it's just progressed gradually, yeah, and there was yeah. never really a hard point where you can say, "Oh, it's it's changed now." Oh, it's modern yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I wonder if part of the appeal with these older platforms and doing demos for them is that you just there's no way you can monetize them. Like it kind it forces you to kind of be in a ha- hobby. Hmm. Or do it as a hobbyist where you'll never make money from you know, pushing this Commodore 64 to its limits versus a PC. Yeah. But it's just this cool thing. So, you know, like, yeah, there's an appeal to just being in that silo of like, I'm only doing this for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying to make a cool thing. Well, the the modern PC demo scene, I think it's roughly the same size as the um, retro scene. So yeah, they, they're more or less balanced. Okay. Yeah, but it is a thing that they pride themselves that they are hobbyists and they're artists and they're not, you know, they're not entrepreneurs or business people. They don't, they're far away from that. So I, yeah. I think there's a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, D- different spirit. But but that said, there are definitely new commercial DOS oh, games. Yeah. If, I mean, um, we, we talked about this earlier a little bit, but... I mean, the the one that stands out, I think, that immediately comes to mind is Planet X3, which was released last year, I think. Yeah, I think last one. Um, I mean, that was sort of, that got sort of a lot of attention for what it is. And the reason it got... Att- I guess it helps that um, the creator has a huge YouTube channel. <laughs> of course, of course. This this is a massive platform to to help spread the word. But, I mean, the reason why people... Are, are spreading the word is because this is an actual DOS game that runs on old hardware 
and is authentic in in the its presentation. Yeah, stuff that's like that's that. true. Uh, so Planet X three really runs on everything that can legitim- legitimate legitimately <laughs> call itself a PC. <laughs> yeah, so that's just an amazing feat, and and. And also what refers back to what Mike said earlier, it's, it's like a hook, you know? It's like a thing that catches people's eye like, oh, that's interesting, that's different. Yeah. So, And also journalists are looking for this sort of thing so they have something to write about and that helps to get in more people. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I had this, I just looked at the Kickstarter and um, I don't, I mean, there is no way that would get funded if that was, or maybe it would, but, you know, it's, if it wasn't a DOS game, it was just something that ran in Windows. Yeah. It probably would have been less successful, but it ended up making, it was asking for 30000 and it got 113000 Yeah. And that's a lot even for a game in general, right? I mean, not even specifically mm-hmm. a retro game. Just, yeah, if you if you want to make an indie game and you run a Kickstarter and you get over $100,000 out of it, that's like, that's, that's huge, just in general. But you can probably sustain your two-person studio for a year with that yeah so and definitely the fact that this is a retro game and it runs on actual hard that totally helps to just sell the story and uh yeah even though if people end up playing it on a modern computer because you can still run this in dosbox or whatever and and run it you don't actually need retro hardware for this at all but yeah it is. It is an appeal, and it is. A, it makes it different and everything. So yeah, which, which, definitely. which also helps a lot that we have stuff like DOSBox. I mean, if totally. there weren't any emulators for all the old hardware, then those games would would be. Uh, I don't know. They would be forgotten by history by now. Yeah, they, they wouldn't be very important anymore, and we wouldn't. We certainly wouldn't. Wouldn't be able to um, have our podcast. Exactly. That that is just what I wanted to say. That there's no way that we could run DOS Game Club and and have people, you know, invite them to to share these DOS games with us if it weren't for things like DOSBox. This really enables the whole scene. I feel. Yeah. The fact that there is this free cross-platform program which anyone can run on any system they <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah, any. I mean, it runs on a phone, so. Yeah, it runs on Android, it runs on old Mac, old Windows, Linux, everything. And uh, so, yeah, DOSBox is really yeah, central. It, it I means feel. you can turn every computing device that you have into a gaming machine that has thousands, uh, several thousands of games available. Totally, totally. Um, it's been a, it's been around since 2002 already. I looked this up. I had no idea. I thought it was like a later thing, but apparently you've you've talked to the the guy who wrote it. Uh, haven't you? Yeah, one of the guys, um, Harakit, who's or Harakit, I don't know Harakit, uh, who's actually very active in the demo scene as well, and he's still writing mm-hmm. uh, demos for DOS. Cool. So yeah, that's cool. But did you ever talk about like how this started or why he made this? Or? No, actually, I didn't. Uh, mostly because mm. I'm not entirely sure what parts of it he made, and then I'm not comfortable with uh, talking to people about stuff that they right. made without really knowing what they made. So, I, right, yeah, I didn't dare asking, <laughs> to be honest. No, but even even so, I mean, um, it's it's obvious that. Well, at the end of the 90s, I think the DOS era is really over. And, and, you know, all the games that are being released by then are Windows only. And it's just increasingly clear that the DOS days, they're, they're just gone. And they won't return. I think Microsoft also said they were going to 
stop supporting DOS. Um, so yeah, that was just the end of the road. And I think, I think this sparked a lot of um, projects to to help prevent this. Yeah. You know, this era yeah. from ending. That actually makes sense. Um, you know, we, we just mentioned Lazy Games reviews. Um, and uh, he just put up a review of Windows Millennium Edition, which was the first Windows, <laughs> uh, the first uh, consumer Windows that disabled um, by default all ways to, to enter DOS mode. So, and that was, was around yeah. 2000. So, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so this starting in 2002, I would guess it's just a response to the whole DOS era ending and people just not accepting that and, and wanting to continue it in some way. Yep. And also the whole Moore's Law thing came into oh, yeah. effect, I think, because it just was increasingly easy with the computers at the, from, the, from that time to emulate older stuff. Yep. Because everything was just so much faster. So, so yeah, the, I think the DOSBox manual mentions that you need like a Pentium 4 or something like that to emulate uh, early Pentium machines. So, and they were available by then. Yeah. So, exactly, exactly. So, so things just came together that the hardware was available to emulate this, and then the official support was dropping. So, yeah, there was like a vacuum. There was like a reason to do this. Another thing I read about, which which started even earlier, is FreeDOS. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used FreeDOS. I haven't. It's an old project. It's from '94. You know, I've, 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 so. I think I bought at least two laptops that came pre-installed with FreeDOS because I didn't want Windows to be pre-installed in them, and then they came with FreeDOS. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. But I, I think FreeDOS was literally started because Microsoft was announcing that they were going to stop uh, DOS support. Well, so but I think FreeDOS was started in '94, so that was several years before Microsoft thought or came close to stopping um, working on, on no, DOS. No, no, at I all. think I think in '94. No, I think in '94 um, they were going to release Windows 95 and they were starting to communicate that they were going to release Windows 95. And I I think they also communicated that this would eventually be the end of the road for us. Right. And things would move more into Windows exclusive territory. So I think it was starting to dawn on people by the mid-90s that DOS was really not uh, there to stay. Right. So, yeah. Um, have you ever used FreeDOS, Mike? No, I haven't. Uh, uh, sorry. But you have used DOS. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting that uh, these DOS games are easier to play now than a lot of these late 90s, early 2000s Windows games. Totally. <laughs> and they're easier to play now. And, and they're also easier to play now than they yeah. were back then. So. <laughs> Definitely. It's totally easier to get a DOS game to run now than it was to get a DOS game running on your DOS machine. Especially because you Back can then. basically find a DOSBox config for every game out there. Um, so if, 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 you, if it even requires something that's not in a default configuration. Yeah, I think most games just work with the default. Yeah, there was, there was one game recently that we tried where you had to uh, like, like reduce the amount of memory available. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but... Yeah, occasionally those hiccups are there. But in general, DOSBox is really convenient. Although I, I, I'm just scrolling through our notes here. I see the next one is ScumVM. Yeah. 
maybe that one's even more convenient. But more limited as well. Yeah, it's not a general purpose uh, DOS game emulator. Uh, it's specifically created... Well, at first it was specifically created for LucasArts Adventures, I think. Uh, hence mm-hmm. the name, ScumVM. Uh, because the, the, the LucasArts engine is called Scum. Script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, I yep. think, is what it's... Yeah. Um, but ScumVM really grew over time. It was initially launched in 2001, or that's when the project started. Uh, and it supported Monkey Island 2 and Indiana Jones' Fate of Atlantis at first. But yeah, other games were added really, really quickly. Um, and then, well, not just Lucas once. I think quite early on already, to be honest. I read that Simon the Sorcerer was already added. I don't know the year, but really, really quickly into the development, which is not a Lucas. I know Beneath the Steel Sky was a really early one too, because I just I remember that one mm-hmm. becoming free. I think Revolution, the company name, uh, made the made Beneath the Steel Sky freeware around that time. It kind of just handed over all the files. Yeah, yeah. There are a bunch of games on the website on ScumVM's website. Uh, where you can just download the whole game for free. Uh, Beneath the Steel Sky is one of them, but also uh, Broken Sword, Flight of the Amazon Queen, Lure of the Temptress. Um, yeah, other ones as well. So it's it's really quite amazing. It is called ScumVM, but in fact, ScumVM supports like four times as many Sierra Online games as LucasArts games. Yeah, it it, it, it supports... All of the Sierra, uh, both the old engine and the newer one, because they they made two engines, AGI and SCI. Have you have you ever tried running Detective Quest in it? I don't think so. Although maybe I did. I'm not sure. I I, I am one hundred percent sure that it works huh. because, uh, yeah, it, because it just works. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> we didn't actually change any of the engine code, you know. We just yep. made assets, so no, it totally works. Although I, I, I do think that it's it it um it auto detects a different game because it detects the executable ah, yeah. from which I ripped it. So if I used, for example, Larry Five as a base, then ScumVM will think that I are in, that I'm importing Larry Five, while in fact I'm importing my own game. So yeah, oh, I just see it also supports some of the. Uh, uh, that's not related to, I mean, stuff like like Hugo's House of Horrors, stuff like that. That's that's really yeah. not not something that you are even returned to Zork. Zork, uh, not you not the original Zork, it, but it supports last. the Seventh Guest. Um, it supports Might and Magic, so it's really really amazing. Um, it's not even limited to point and click adventure games. It's just. Yeah. All sorts. Of so stuff. the the list of games that it supports is like I I wouldn't even want to count them. It's too many. <laughs> at, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. at least one hundred fifty or so. I would I would guess. Yeah, and it's really these sorts of uh, programs that allow the whole interest in in all DOS games. Yeah. Really, I mean, just the fact that you can like uh, Mike, you recently. Uh, asked people to to play uh, what's it called beneath the steel oh, sky. Oh, beneath the steel sky. Yeah, yep. made a little adventure game book club, basically just a monthly adventure game club. And yeah, I mean that's the only way it. It's just ScumVM probably kept 
a lot of these games alive, uh, I don't know if people would really be into... I mean, I think in some capacity, people would remember Beneath the Steel Sky, but it certainly makes it a lot easier when the game is free and you, Scum VM's very easy to use. Yeah. Yeah, I think this whole concept of inviting people to play these old games is only possible because these things exist. So uh, that's really amazing. Yes, very similar to that topic. I mean, there are so many um, original um, DOS games that are now being uh, ported to modern platforms. Like there are at at least 20 or so Doom DOS ports and people are actually still making uh, add-ons for Doom and, and other games of the era. Yeah, yeah, the Doom scene is really active. I mean, we once started with yeah. Doom, but maybe in hindsight that was a bit... We should have waited. Well, we, yeah. we, we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing and we should have maybe picked something else. But honestly, I had no idea people were still playing yeah. Doom. I thought this was just a long forgotten thing. But turns out the Doom scene is actually super active. And, and John Romero has even uh, released a new level pack, yeah. I think, for the old Doom not long ago. Oh. Last year or the year before? No, I think last year. Crazy. Well, and it ended up getting included with the uh, Nintendo Switch port of Doom. So it's almost like a new official Doom level pack. Right. And, and just in a, in a side note, you just said uh, the, the Nintendo Switch port of Doom. So <laughs> it's crazy that there's an official port of, of a, what, 27 years old game. Wasn't it almost like a joke where like Doom gets ported to every oh, yeah. single... <laughs> platform possible <laughs> it runs even yeah, on toasters exactly there's all yeah it's not a computer if it doesn't run well, uh, doom so yeah that's definitely a meme we also wrote some some things about modern software that's available to develop stuff for dos nowadays mm-hmm. uh, which i guess in part is also what's been used for your uh, dos games jam mike i mean some people use stuff like Unity, but other people they use. Oh, like oh, oh, sorry. I, um, I like I think Love DOS that you had mentioned in this notes was used for some of these games. I haven't used it, but I think it's great that there's all these tools that make programming for DOS, you know, easy and accessible. Yeah, you don't you don't have to be an expert. Into it. You can kind of just use modern programming languages to make something new. Yeah, for an old right. Exactly. Like even um, there, there's a project like um, porting the newest C and C++ compilers to make them um, output code that runs on old DOS machines. There's there's always people who try to keep it alive. That's really cool. Like um, also stuff like um, uh, there's DJG. Yeah, that, that's 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 here? what I just meant. So it's um, GCC yeah. is, is the like new a- compiler collection, and DJGPP is um, like a DOS part of it. It, it both runs yeah. on DOS and it compiles stuff to DOS. So right. I think that's also what Voxel used to make your game. But that's that's an old. Is that an old project? Oh, really? I think it, it's been around for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, but it keeps being updated. Yeah, it runs the newest. Uh, I think it's always just just one or two minor releases of, of GCC behind. so mm. And they update several times a year. So, Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I also want to mention uh, Tapegro, because that's uh, made by K- KDR Nick, which is a DOS Game Club member. Um, he suggested that we play Life and Death a while ago. So that's another episode where we did, that we did. And uh, Tapegro is... Um, a framework, I, I guess, or a library or something. Anyway, it it's basically Allegro, which is an old games library as well. 
but that one requires you to write C or C++. I'm not sure. Florian will know. Well, I've never used a liquid, but I think it's C++. I might be wrong. Yeah. Anyway, it's been around since the 90s uh, for making games for DOS. But uh, Tapegro, the, the one KDR Nick made, is it's the same thing, but it allows you to write your code in JavaScript. So this means that you can write modern JavaScript and then compile it to a DOS game, which is just amazing, yeah. honestly. By the way, I, I just checked. DJ GPP started in 89. <laughs> yeah. And it's still being updated. So, so. that's insane. That's insane. Um, one other thing I just want to mention is the Red Tracker 2, which I used to make uh, OPL3 music for the uh, game jam entry, which weirdly, I mean, this is also like, old software in a way. This was released originally in 1995, I think, um, as a tracker for DOS uh, to create AdLib music with. Um, but then weirdly, in 2018, the original team released an update. So there's Red Tracker version 2 now, uh, which, yeah, it's just an updated version. It still runs in DOS. There's also Windows and Mac binaries, which, yeah. You can run as well, but I, I run it in DOS myself, and it works great. And it supports OPL3, so it supports stereo, and they fix some bugs. So, yeah, it's crazy that people are <laughs> updating their old DOS software like this recently. It's just, yeah, it's really cool. Just, I, I yeah, I think, I think we can go to move to wrapping this up. There's just one little block here about hardware, but there's not a lot of hardware actually mentioned there is some modern hardware for DOS, though, isn't there, Florian? Yeah, I, I'm not all too much into that because I collect actual um, retro hardware. Right. But um, especially Adlib sound is being something that people port to um, machines that didn't support it before. Like there's the OPL3 LPT uh, project, which is basically an Adlib card that you can plug in your into your printer port. Mm -hmm for machines that don't really provide um, extension slots, um, like a laptop, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there are Adlib cards for uh, the microchannel architecture, which is um, what IBM made and tried to replace the um, original PCs and the PC-80s um, extension bus, which was really only used in their PS2 machines, which were only really used in businesses. And so there wasn't really any any gaming hardware available for them. But those are actually pretty nice machines in terms of raw processing power. Right. So nowadays, people actually <laughs> try to make uh, new hardware for them. That's and I've seen at least one attempt to um, recreate um, the Gravis Ultrasound um, for the PS2 cards. No, no, for, for modern machines, because oh. Gravis Ultrasounds, is, they are really expensive nowadays. Ah. So I think it's hard to get an original one for less than 200 right. euros or something like that. And and you can install this in your old retro computer, or you can just install... Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the idea. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's because cool. what, I mean, those, those, the, the Gravis Ultrasound doesn't do anything that you couldn't do at least as well on a modern PC. Right. So it's it's really just sampling uh, and mixing PCM audio more or less. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's but that's that's something that old PCs were really terrible at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why all the um, the early 90s games all use 8-bit 11 kilohertz audio because yeah. Also also file size I guess was one consideration but also just processing yeah. power just to mix it all. Yeah. yeah. Like um, for example um there's um there's this one popular and, and, and famous um, DOS demo from the 90s, um, Second Reality. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it, it has an option to um, do all the audio processing and software, but then you need like a really fast Pentium to run it. If you have a Gravis Ultrasound, it will run on 386. Exactly, because it can mix it all in hardware. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like the Amiga. <laughs> Same idea. Yeah. So actually, I, I, want to, I want to end this thing um, with the question, where is this going? I mean, we're sitting here in, in the year 2020, playing old DOS games, having massive interest in them, weirdly. I mean, lots of people are into this stuff. There's, yeah, people making stuff, software, hardware. So is, is DOS the operating system of the 21st century? Is there a future in this? Where is this going? There are actually people also making like productivity software for DOS PCs. There's still um, a TCP package being developed and updated regularly. It's called MTCP, which basically allows a DOS PC to be on the internet and use like IRC, email. Uh, I think there are, I, I'm not aware of any browsers that support modern HTML features or even HTTPS very well, but it means you can run or put your actual DOS machine um, onto the internet. Wow, that's amazing. So you can chat on oh. IRC with a... An actual yeah, I, yeah. I, I did that actually nice <laughs> for a while yeah nice it's it's fun but but how does this tie into the question where this is going I mean uh, well maybe maybe it doesn't as much as I thought it would <laughs> <laughs> no it, it sort of enables I, I, I saw my chance to, yeah it's an enabler it enables right? you to to use your old PC in your network right so you can transfer files to it easily and then and, and keep up with you know networked stuff so i guess it makes it more viable to keep a dos machine around yeah i mean there's there's other stuff like you can yeah. um replace your hard disks with um, sd cards and stuff like that which make it really really easy to transfer new software to your dos computer nowadays and you have vast amounts of of disk space yeah. now so you don't you don't care if if you just have to install the entire cd onto your hard disk because your hard disk is actually an sd card with 64 gigabytes or something and with some tricks, you can you can actually make most of that work. So, yeah. yeah. So you kind of get the benefits of using an older machine, yeah. but without and without the limitations, yeah. Yeah. The headache exactly. of the time. Yeah. Do you have any uh, without some of the more annoying uh, limitations? Actually. Yeah. Exactly. I like, mean, the, the the graphics limitations are actually one of the reasons sure. why you want to keep sure, such a sure. machine around. Yeah. But disk disk space limitations and and access speed limitations. Yeah, they're, not they're like a best of both worlds situation. Do you keep an old computer around, Mike? No, I want to. I just don't have the room for it right now. But that's, that's I, yeah. Well, there, there there are very nice DOS laptops that you can find using like with a four eighty six. They don't take up much space. Put them in a in a, um, in a cupboard or a, like in a, in a shelf or something. Mm. So, hmm. Yeah, not not very expensive either. I mean, you can around here you can get them for oh, like forty fifty bad. euros. Yeah, and you have one for sale. Uh, so I <laughs> <No>. don't actually. <laughs> but um, but but okay, Mike. I want to ask you this: Do you think, judging from all the DOS entries and everything that happened, do you think this is a fad? Do you think this is just just happening now, and it will disappear and it will be lost forever? Or do you think not so much? Do you think this will be around for a while? I think so. I don't think it's ever going to be huge or mainstream like it, you know but i think that i think that's going to be around for a while at least um you know at least as long as people who remember dos are still around i think that there's an appeal that um like with 
systems like the Pico 8 that people like to work with restrictions imposed on them um, mm-hmm. because it kind of forces you to narrow down the scope and you know figure out what's actually essential to the game that you're making. And it, I think a lot of people just kind of it, like doing little programming tricks um, to kind of get the most out of a very limited hardware set. Yeah, totally. And it just inspires creativity to have these limitations. Uh, yeah, totally. There's, there's there's also the thing that with retro hardware, there's a, there's a good chance that you can understand most of the important parts of your hardware. But even if you're a seasoned uh, graphics programmer nowadays, um, you're hardly going to understand all aspects of of your modern GPU. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. mostly even even if you if you if you had the mental capacity to do it, uh, that still doesn't mean that the um, manufacturers actually release all that information. But for the retro machines, most of that information is freely available. Yeah, that's cool. so. Like, like um, maybe that that's not not very DOS related, but for the um, sixty five or two CPU, that one that runs the C sixty four and the um, Nintendo Entertainment System and stuff like that, mm-hmm. every single transistor in that machine is um, basically published. So yeah, and I guess I guess that's true for software as well, um, where more and more old software is getting open sourced and and. Right. People Microsoft, are just, yeah, Microsoft even opened. <laughs> Microsoft source released DOS, the original DOS source code, to which they always also said, "Please don't uh, submit any uh, any patches." <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, because they put it on GitHub, right? So yeah. there's you can just look up the original DOS on GitHub, like it's it's a project there. Um, but yeah, they ask people maybe don't fork it or or actually do fork it. Don't don't <laughs> develop patches and submit them for review because yeah. they're not. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to do that, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. I mean, the, the, this whole old retro stuff is gives people a chance to understand their whole system as a whole, both in hardware and software. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's quite you're quite able to understand the whole of DOS if you dive into it. Oh yeah, I mean, it's um, the entire uh, I don't know the command the printer itself. It's like like ten kilobytes or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> So this is doable, and and modern software doesn't really, yeah, it's like a black box more. It's like a magic thing that just works or not, and if it doesn't, then well. It's, yeah, lots of black yeah. boxes that have yeah. some connections between them that you can see and some that you can't see, and I yeah. mean, um, there's there's Linux or other op- open source operating systems, but even those are so complex that yeah. you can you can They're be an huge. expert and you can be an expert in, in one of the subsystems maybe, or two, maybe two or three, but you cannot know the entire system. No. But that's different with this old stuff. So, yeah. and and Mike, you mentioned that maybe maybe interest in DOS will be around for as long as people are still here who remember it. But I think maybe young people are also getting into this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've had some of uh, some of our members are too young to actually remember DOS. I think a lot of them actually. Yeah, like like Bitrot. He, I think he never had a DOS computer when he was young, did he? No, no, he was like born in '99 or something. Yeah. So, so, and I mean, even even I'm most of the games that we're playing in the club, I've I've never played them before, and still uh, I get this nostalgia for something that I never really experienced. Mm, that's even, even though it, even though I have the appropriate age for <laughs> nostalgia, right? Do you know any of the ages of the people who submitted games for the jam, or do you have uh, no idea, Mike? I'm not sure. Uh, I think there's some younger. People, so I think you're right. I I, I wish I had you know, a more concrete number, but 
Um, yeah. I do. I do think there are some younger people in there. I'm curious where how maybe it's not a discussion for a future episode. How they get into it? Hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's a good idea in general. I mean, I think it's fun to discuss just those stuff in general. Maybe outside of the games more. You also had this idea, Florian. Just maybe invite other people, like like the the DOSBox developer or or other people uh, who are running things nowadays dos related could be yeah. fun so yeah so yeah will will 2030 be, be the year of dos on the desktop <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> no, i don't think there will be a desktop around at all. <laughs> oh, that's probable but i don't look forward to that yeah i think mike actually said it right that this this won't be a mainstream thing this won't be a huge thing but then again is anything still mainstream? I mean, does does mainstream even exist any, any longer? I, I mean, I think it does. Like, really? I mean, just, everything is like niche now. Everything is like people is are it? listening uh, to like, their own playlists and looking at their own YouTube channels. And sure, but but just open open Twitter and you see like like a trillion tweets about Animal Crossing and stuff like that. So there is still a mm. big 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 mainstream scene or a big big I don't know what you, what to call it. Like, okay. there's lots of mainstream stuff nowadays. Okay. Okay. And- well, that's okay. I mean, that's okay for a thing to be a niche interest, too. I mean, you know, it's not any less valid. And there's plenty of things like Pico. Oh, yeah. No, just just the opposite, I think. The, the, the more niche it is, the more the more people actually are thankful for, for, for when you create something for it. Like, look look at, at um, how... People actually crave stuff like like um, slip speed and stuff like that. They're like, "Wow, this is a new game for my old computer. Mm, this yeah. is this is relevant to my interests." Yeah, that's a good point. And it's actually more people than you think, also, because like, I mean, I remember back in the day playing adventure games at home. I was the only kid in school who was into that stuff. I mean, other kids were like playing on their Nintendos and their whatnot. And I had nobody to talk to, with. but but then I went to high school, and there was like a bigger school, and there were there were three or four kids there, and and you know as time progressed and and things got more connected, and I got onto the internet and IRC, and there's suddenly a hundred people playing adventure games, and then I go onto Twitter, and there's like thousands of people play. So, I mean this this niche stuff, um, it's not that niche. It's like there's a lot of people who are into this. So, in the end. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't see this going away at all. This is just going to be, yeah, growing in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it won't grow indefinitely, but there's going to be some more growth. And then I guess it will level out at at some at some percentage of, of people interested in it, and it will yeah. just remain on the same level, more or less, I think. Mm-hmm. And I assume that will go on for, for a couple of decades. I hope it will. <laughs> so... Yeah, I hope so, because it's cool. It's awesome. Right. So, yeah, did we miss anything? Is there anything that we should mention that we didn't? Um, I'm not aware of anything. No, I can't think of anything else. Okay. Well, let's let's wrap this up then. Um, maybe just discuss some general club things. Uh, because it, it's early May now as we're recording this. Uh, so that means we just switched over the game. We do one game every month. Although actually this month we're not doing one game at all, are we? We're doing like, I don't know, how many did we count them? I think we talked about it in the last recording. It's like 20 games that we're doing this We're time. doing all the games this month. All, yeah. them, all, them. <laughs> all, all remaining DOS games. In one. 
<laughs> uh, no, we actually actually we're we're playing pinball games, so we thought a single pinball game may not be enough to entertain us for a whole month. But yeah. then let's see how many pinball DOS games there are. And actually, when when we started and when we decided to do this, I thought ah maybe we'll find four, five, six, maybe maybe six <laughs> games of that uh, of that genre. <laughs> it turned out there are like there there are dozens of them. Oh man, there are so pinball was such a huge genre in the nineties, and it came out of nowhere, and then it went away also as quickly as it came. But there was like a period between uh, I would say ninety two and ninety seven six. There were loads of pinball games in that era, and and some are really good too. Uh, so yeah, epic pinball, pinball fantasies, pinball dreams, all that stuff. Um, we're diving into it this month. So, uh, yeah, definitely fun to to come hang out at our website, dosgameclub.com, and you can post on the forums and, and share all your thoughts about all these games. And then, uh, yeah, we'll record a podcast about it soon enough. Yeah. And if you like the game uh, enough, then you might actually join us. Totally, totally. Um, we, also, we, we also always try to invite people who are active on the forums because I feel that's really the focus of the whole thing. Like, if you post a lot on the forums, then, well, that shows that you're really into it. And then, yeah. So, so. <laughs> Judging by that, I'm not very much into DOS Game Club. <laughs> no, but you're you're invited by default. So that's, no, that's, different. that's <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Um, next month in June, we're going to do something else uh, entirely, which is a text adventure, I would yeah, say. Which we mentioned uh, earlier. Yeah, it's a genre genre we haven't covered at all, even though it's really a foundational thing for for PC games. And and yeah, it's like a, a huge um platform that that the whole of gaming was built and on. it's a genre that's that's still going. So I mean there's there's maybe a lot less interest in um text adventures nowadays, but there are still people making new text adventures and some of them I hear totally. are really good. So Totally. Yeah. So uh we're going to check out uh, Gateway by Legend Entertainment, which was based on a novel, I think, uh, with the same title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by Frederick Paul, I think is his name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Frederick Paul's Gateway is also uh, one way the title is written. Um, and Legend is actually uh, a continuation of the studio that did Zork. Um, oh, Infocom. Yeah, yeah. So actually, Infocom uh, was founded by Bob Bates and Mike Ferdou. and or actually, no, Legend Entertainment was founded by those, but they they were also in Infocom. So, yeah, that's that's in a way, Legend and Infocom are like the same thing. And Legend made all these uh, text adventure games in the nineties, and they had graphics, although they were more like decorative graphics, you know. So it's like there's a picture in the corner, but you can still type and you can still, uh, the, the, the picture is just there to set the scene and set the mood and, and well, share what's going on in official way. I think, though, that that didn't always work out when the um, graphics were made by artists and they were told, yeah, put this and that there. And then they used their artistic freedom to add stuff that wasn't really in the, in the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that when we dive into this, but... Yeah, it's certainly something interesting, and and I think this is a nice hybrid. You know, there's there's still proper text adventure typing going on, but it's also sort of visual, and it's not just reading. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, white text on the black screen. So, yeah. Um, we d- we haven't decided what we'll play uh, beyond that, haven't we? July and, and beyond. No, is, there are some ideas, no. but I don't think we've yeah. decided anything yet. No, so we'll have to sit down and think about that. But that will come in the future. Um, so if you enjoy this DOS stuff, then why don't you come join us over on dosgameclub.com. You can post on the forums. Uh, you can also chat with us on IRC. We have an IRC chat uh, f- room set up on Afternet, uh, which you can join by joining uh, the DOS Game Club channel. Uh, if you're not into IRC, then you can also use a widget on our website, which is all set up to join our room. So you can just type in your name there and then, boom, you're into the into the chat. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, where we're called DOS Game Club. And we try to update people on what's going on. We also sometimes do polls there and just tweet out general DOS stuff. We also tweet about the Game Jam, for example. So, I mean, yeah, just DOS stuff happening there. Um, and last but not least, if you're listening to this in a podcasting app, then it's much appreciated if you rate our show and leave a review and a comment. And then, yeah, we just really love reading those and, and listening to your voice messages as well, which you can also send to us uh, by email to club at dosgameclub.com. So, yeah, that's all for me. Um, thanks for listening and also thank you Mike and Florian for 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 joining us and talking talking about this dust I'm always joining but uh, you're welcome <laughs> yeah but but I'm still thanking you because I'm great ah. <laughs> and thank you for having me here yeah man super awesome super awesome jam and and yeah just best of luck with uh, with any future endeavors thank you I mean Maybe DOS Games Jam will be like a thing now. I'm hoping there is one later in the, like maybe in the fall. Hmm. Um, maybe like a twice yearly thing. I kind of studied what the Haunted PS1 community does. <laughs> that seems like what they're comfortable with. So it'd be neat to do this again. It seems like I had enough people interested in doing another one. Yeah. Awesome. Well, looking forward to that. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's all. Uh, see you later, man. Bye. 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 Bye.